start to record. Oh man, a lot. Probably not as much as going on with you. How's baby Cornelius? <laughs> that is not his name. Um, that's a good pseudonym, but yeah, a lot has going on. Last since we last spoke, I have doubled the collective number of children slash chiefs of baseball officers in my life. There doubled. you go. Two to four. You have. By the way, uh, Monsters of Socks, we're back, baby. Woo! Dan is back from paternity leave right in time to discuss the hiring of Craig Breslow as the president of baseball operations. And I have to note that Gavin Blackburn over the Monsters slash Monsters of Socks is number one uh, Scottish fan was preemptively reached out to me when he learned that the pod was coming back to make sure I said Craig and not Craig. Hold on, Even hold though on. everyone in it? America says Craig. Wait, wait, how are we supposed to pronounce it? Craig. First of all, as far as we know, Breslow is not Scottish. So Craig. I don't know if that applies. I don't to think him. I don't think Gavin cares. I also can't hear the difference between what you're saying right it's now like, at all. You don't say the letter A in Craig. That would be Craig, correct? You say C-R and then egg, Craig. This is saying Craig. Craig. You you really, the A is what you emphasize. Oh, we don't, we don't say the A is what you're saying. Correct. Gotcha. Craig. Egg. Egg. And I asked, Craig. was it more like Craig? And he said no. Craig. So maybe in Ireland it's Craig. So anyhow, he's the new president of baseball operations. Dan, your take. Well, I don't know if I have a take yet, not to commit a cardinal sin of podcasting. Um, It was your idea to come back this week and you're not prepared. (laughs) It was. I have a take on takes, and we can get into that later. Um, I will say this. It's really – well, you know what? I know you do have a take, and I know you really like this. So you start. I would say really like this is overstating it, but I will explain what I've sort of been getting at in my posts on the social media network of wherever you read it. I have had another one of our loyal listeners ask, why should I be excited about this? And my answer to that would be, you shouldn't be. But my, but the flip side of that is that this is something we've talked about a lot with respect to the cult of the GM. It might be mm-hmm. dying, and I think that's good. And I think... Much like it was hard not to notice the parallels between the Speaker of the House election and the Red Sox. I mean, they happened. It, was it? Because I had never once considered that. But. Oh, it happened on the exact same time. You're you got a kid, new kid. You can't. It did. That's it. true. No, that's they, true. They did the hiring on the same day. They ended up doing it at the same. Yeah. Like it, the two things tracked each other almost perfectly. Now, unfortunately. I think the Republicans have ended up with someone. They didn't get any of their big names or stars. Unfortunately, I think they ended up with someone 
perfectly competent for th their ends. Absolutely, and yeah. It will. It's not good for the country, I don't think. But I think the Red Sox they got what they wanted. They got what they wanted. Yeah. Well, no, they didn't get what they wanted. They got their like tenth choice. No, no, no. Sorry, I was saying the Republicans got what they wanted, just not just in a different name. Um, well, but 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 my point being that I think, look, I've had to hire people, and sometimes when I've had to hire people and offer the job to people, and they turned it down, invariably the person who takes a job is actually the right fit, and I think yeah. that that Breslow is. We've been through every iteration of GM in the last since Theo. You know, Duquette was, I guess, you know, Duquette was like local boy, wasn't he? He's from Western Mass. Close enough. And yeah. then Theo was Wonderkin. He was local boy, but it was more Wonderkin, but it was both. Ben Sherrington yeah. was the vice president. Dombrowski was the... Continuation of Theo, yeah. Dombrowski was the high A and salesman, and Bloom was the nerd, and now we're going back to... Like, it's just a generalist. And my, I think my point has been the whole time that Red Sox have so many built-in advantages that I think it can work with a generalist that I assume Breslow is going to be. But as someone else reminded me, I was higher when Hyam, I was happy when Hyam was hired at first because I thought it there were promise. But, I mean, that ended the second the boogie trade happened. I don't think something like that is going to follow up Breslow being hired. I don't think another Mookie trade is going to happen. I think that it'll be very standard issue, just trying to get better so they could try to win games. And frankly, that's a relief to me. All right. A couple, I have a couple of things with respect to that, um, including the fact that, and we'll, I, I, we'll dig more into this later. I'm not 100% sure that he is a generalist, and I think you might be projecting some things we don't know yet there. Um, I'm not exactly sure he is. We have seen every iteration of GM, and we'll get to that too. But I'm going to start with a conspiracy theory here. You just said they didn't get who they wanted. Let me walk you through a timeline. Hyam Bloom was let go in late September. We saw the day before, maybe it was two days before, that we learned that High and Bloom was let go. What did we see on social media? You remember? Nope. Theo Epstein on the green line. Oh, right. Theo was in Boston the day before the Red Sox let High and Bloom go. One week after the Red Sox let High and Bloom go, before we started hearing anything about interviews, before we started hearing anything about rejections, we got a tweet from legendary sports writer Peter Gammons, in which Peter Gammons said, quote, hearing rumblings that Craig Breslow may come to Boston to run the Red Sox pitching development program. He and his family still live in Newton. That was one week after Bloom was fired and before we heard any rumors. Then we start to hear about the interviews. We hear about Eddie Romero. We hear about the Red Sox getting turned down by big name after big name. Sam Fold, Brandon Gomes, Mike Hazen, all these guys who were on the top of our list speculatively turning the job down in what seems like an embarrassing and, and frankly unexpected and, and strange occurrence for the Red Sox. Now, a month later, we got Breslow in. 
And we're hearing Lou Merloni said on the radio just the other day, a big, big, big influence in Breslow coming in was that Theo Epstein apparently highly recommended him to the Red Sox. Theo Epstein, of course, was the one who brought him to the Cubs in the first place. So conspiracy theory time. Was Breslow actually the guy they wanted from just about day one? And is that why they actually were getting turned down? by all these other names because it was kind of a, a poorly kept secret in the industry that it was going to be Breslow? I certainly do not think so. <laughs> I think that as they got turned down and they presumably had continued uh, con- Gammon's tweeted about Bre- Commun- Brandon. He okay, mentioned but him as, for a as different but he job. tweeted about Breslow in September. To, he, but well, but why would it, why would Breslow make a lateral move? Why would we hear about Breslow making a lateral move? Where does he live? Because he he lives here, but they oh, didn't even have oh, a boss oh, yet. You could work where he lives. Oh my god, <laughs> he lives two crazy. he lives two miles from where I'm sitting right now. Right. But they didn't even have a boss yet, and we started hearing, oh, Breslow might come to the Red Sox front office. So we started hearing that within a week of Bloom being fired, within a week of when we knew Theo Epstein was in Boston, and now we're hearing that Theo was the voice who maybe brought Breslow to Boston. See, I, I, I don't know. I wonder. Reason, and, and now... For the reason I say, the one thing you can't, that the Red owners don't like is being embarrassed. And this was a little true. embarrassing. True. Well, I think it could have been just a miscalculation because I think we heard so much about it. They wanted it to be a robust search. They were being criticized for only hire for only interviewing Bloom last time. So maybe there's a little bit of a dog and pony show. But here's the other thing I'll say about Preslow and why it might make sense that they zeroed in on him um, right from the start. You know, you you said in your in your intro there that we've sort of gone through every iteration of GM in the Henry time. And I actually don't know if that's true i don't know if i agree with that it seems to i mean, me, I, I guess problem, I mean every but this one because this one we haven't yeah considered. well hold on here though the pot on land sound guys joked that john henry has a type <laughs> that type being jewish baseball executives from yale <laughs> and of course three of the five of the people who have run the red Sox during henry's tenure fit that description um i think that part is a coincidence but i actually do think it is true that Henry does have a type. I think Henry is obsessed with finding, you know, what the types of people who are kind of annoyingly called disruptors. He wants a disruptor. He wants someone who is the smartest guy in the room. And like, take a look at every time he's pretty much, he's, he's hired for a GM. He first, the first thing he does, first GM he tries to hire, first GM he does hire for one day, when he started with the Red Sox back in 2002, it was Billy Bean. He hired Billy Bean for one day. The term disruptor didn't even exist yet when, when at, at the time of Moneyball. But when it did become, enter the parlance a few years later, Billy Bean was used as a prime example of what is a disruptor. Take a look at what Billy Bean did with the A's. So he tries to get Billy Bean. He does get him. Bean quits after one day. What does he do next? He doesn't go a traditional route. He hires a 28-year-old kid from Yale. And at the t- and while that's while baseball is filled with guys with that description now, at the time that was insane. There was nobody working in major league front offices who had Theo Epstein's demographic background. None at all. A, a, a kid who didn't play the game at a high level, didn't coach at a high level, 
did work his way up through the system, but very, very slowly, or sorry, excuse me, very, very quickly, because he basically, Lucchino just essentially latched onto him when he was a college intern in Baltimore and said, you're going to be a GM one day and made it happen eight years later. Um, and, you know, that's what, that's what Henry wanted. Henry, Henry wanted Bean, a disruptor. He couldn't get him. And so he went for the next, he went for the, the in-house version of what he hoped that would be. The Charrington hire, I think we can just look at that as basically a continuation of the Theo regime, right? Like he was, he was Theo's second in command. They hoped he would be the exact same thing. He wasn't exactly that. And, you know, they say goodbye to him. The Dabrowski hire is the one, is the one outlier. And I think what's notable about the Dabrowski hire, of course, is remember that John Henry had already had Dabrowski with the Marlins, and he let him go, even though Dombrowski had been incredibly successful. Dombrowski, people forget this when they talk about, like, can he build a team? Dombrowski took an expansion team and won the World Series with them three years later. Nobody in North American professional sports had ever done anything like that. And then, of course, he was ordered by Heisenga to tear it all down, but still he did it. And Henry inherited him when he, when he brought the Marlins. D- Dave Dabrowski is the complete opposite of an innovator. He's not a disruptor. He's, his, his, his background in baseball couldn't have been more conventional. He's just someone who started working in front offices in like 1981 and just slowly worked his way up the system for decades. And he doesn't come in here with a money ball philosophy. He doesn't come in here and say, I'm going to zig when others zag, and that's going to give us competitive advantage. Dave, Dave Dabrowski's philosophy is, I'm going to find good players and give them money to play for my team. <laughs> like that, right? That's his philosophy. And it was highly successful. But I think, and, and, and so ultimately, I think Henry was drawn to that. But ultimately, that just wasn't Henry's type. And so at the very first sign of trouble for Dombrowski, that being the 2019 season when they get a couple of unfortunate starting pitcher injuries and they underperform their Pythagorean wins, the very first sign of trouble, he dumps Dombrowski. And where does he go? He gets a disruptor again. By this point, the high and bloom, the number two at the Rays, the Rays were the disruptors of all disruptors in baseball. They were doing everything differently than every other team. Um, And that's what he went for. So, and now I think Breslow is kind of the same mold. Like Breslow, we don't, he doesn't have a traditional background at all. He's a player for one thing. Players other than Chris Young and Jerry DePoto are not the guys that we tend to see running front offices these days. He's a player. His only front office experience is with pitching development. Um, he's never been, he's been an assistant GM in, in name only. He's never been negotiating contracts. He's never been doing trades or anything like that. But he is, by all accounts, a really, really smart guy. And so I think that that is what Henry wants. And I think that's sort of reflected in almost his entire time with the Red Sox and what he seeks out. Like he wants, he wants his GM to be the smartest guy in the room. He wants them to be thinking and doing things differently than all the other 29 teams. And, you know, <clears throat> with, with Theo, that worked. Although I think with Theo, we sort of have to recognize that, you know, sure, he brought Moneyball principles to the Red Sox, but he also just paid really good players <laughs> when he wanted them. And so I think that's the question we got to ask about Breslow here is, okay, you know, if, to the extent that Theo Epstein's mandate was essentially, um, you know, John Henry liked that he was a disruptor and thought differently, but John Henry ultimately just said, hey, build the best team you can with whatever resources we have. So sure, 
he made unconventional moves. He unearthed people like Kevin Millar and Bill Miller, guys that weren't highly thought of throughout the league and recognized that they had untapped potential. But then he was also like, hey, we need a closer. Keep folks on the market. I know, I'll give them the most money. Hey, we need a starting pitcher. Kurt Schilling's available. Let's trade young cost control talent for him and then give him the most money. And of course, he was just supplementing a team that Duquette had built in the same way. Manny Ramirez is available. Let's give him the most money. Pedro Martinez is available. Let's trade prospects for him and then give him the most money. So that's what Theo Epstein did. So the question with Breslow is, okay, if he if he is like I think he is, someone who's who was brought in because Henry thinks he can zig when others are zagging, is his mandate like Theo's was going to be build the best team you can? Or is it going to be – was he brought in because – he wants him to do the same thing he wanted Bloom to do, but do a better job at it. Is he still being brought in because he thinks he's someone who can think differently and build a better baseball team for less money? So I think we don't know because we don't know anything about him. Well, but you use the word think a lot and you're right. Henry has a type. Bloom's problem was not thinking. He thought 20. Bloom's problem was acting. And that's my point. My point is that you can, even if I were to grant everything you say, I don't think the there was some secret plan for him to be GM. I do think the Occam's razor take is that they were going to bring him in because he is a John Henry type. They were going to bring him into the organization, and uh, because he's a he'd be an asset. And as a, all these other GM candidates or whatever candidates remove themselves from competition. Theo was probably in his ear. Other people's like, why not just why not just have Breslow do that job? Because they're keeping so much of the same staff in the front office that part of it is just like replacing the hood ornament. <laughs> but in the other part, I think what needs to be explicit here and this is why I'm fine with Breslow. I have no fear that he's going to do exactly what High and Bloom did. Is because High and Bloom was bad at it. And I think that High, I think that Breslow, even if he is more austerity focused than I would like, they're not going to continue. I don't think down the same path they've been going down because if they were going to, why would they have fired Bloom? So I think even if this is just a minor corrective, that's kind of all they need because, as you said, you're always building on the work of your predecessor. And he has a lot to work with. He really does. They don't need to do much. They really don't. And that's So I hope he's not coming in here trying to reinvent the wheel. Like, I hope he didn't sit down in the interview and say, yeah, we can spend in Yamamoto, but let me tell you something. What if I tell you that I can fix Alec Manoa? Like, I hope we're not trying to get that cute. I, but that's a th- where he, because he is a former player, that sort of gives me some confidence that he does understand. It's not that he's a former player, that he's a former player personally selected by Theo Epstein, one of the greatest baseball minds of all time, to bring him into his front office in Chicago. That seems to me to be quite an endorsement. It doesn't mean he was 
necessarily ready to be a GM then, and maybe not now. Maybe it'll be rocky a, a bit first, but I trust Theo's judgment. I also trust that as a player who has made it back, who's made it to the top of the organization in a way that players rarely do anymore because of how <clears throat> McKinsified it is. And he's sort of like, if you, if you use Yale as a syn- synonym as McKinsey, he's sort of same thing. Mm-hmm. Shows that he's actually fought against some. Uh, he's fought against some dumb jock odds, I'm sure. But at the same time, I actually have more confidence that he was a player that he's not going to go in there and be like, "Look, if I just get shitty players, you guys are gonna, for cheap, you guys are going to be fucking great." Hell no, man! Like he played on the 2013 Red Sox. He knows. What good base, you know, he played with fucking David Ortiz. He knows the value, I would hope, of good players. But yes, my point, though, is that I'm happy, even if the Red Sox are some sort of project, and even if it's like 75% of the Bloom Pro, I don't think it will be. I think it'll be... We've talked about this. I, I'm just happy that I feel like so much of the foundation has been laid that we could focus on the actual players. And if he makes deals, yeah, we can sit back and ponder the deals. But the way Bloom made deals, it was always like in perpetuity, what's the theoretical value of this deal? You, you never you never pay it off immediately because that was never the point. Mm-hmm. Whereas if Bressel goes and signs guys to play next year, we're going to be focusing on like, was, did it like in three years, will High and Bloom be proven right? Like, okay, did he make, was that good or not? And we'll know. And we can start treating the baseball team as a baseball team and not a uh, thought experiment. And yeah. that that's the refreshing. That's why I don't care that it's not Kim Eng, who I would have loved, but like, it doesn't matter to me. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it. And if he sucks, yeah. I find it hard to believe that he could be worse than Bloom or, or hold on. He could obviously be worse than Bloom, less <laughs> enjoyable than Bloom. Put it that way. Well, that's something else that I'm going to disagree with slightly because I think there's a couple of different reasons why the last four years have been so unenjoyable. And one of them for sure is what you said. It's sort of Bloom's tendency to to treat the team as a project, which could be really frustrating from the spectating standpoint. But then the other problem was the way that the fans divided into camps and made either being pro-Bloom or anti-Bloom part of like a tribal identity thing. And boy, when he let go, one of the first feelings, we discussed this, one of the first feelings I had was relief that that was gone. Now I, but I feel like I'm already seeing it with Breslow on social media. That Like there is a, there, there's definitely, there's a definite rush on social media amongst fans to be like, Great hire. I'm, I'm behind Breslow all the way when we know nothing about how Breslow is going to run the team. And I, and I feel like the same thing's going to happen. People are, people are already declaring them Breslow guys 
breads feeders if you're if you're on in the bottom lands now they're already declaring themselves breslow guys and are they then going to as we saw with i am bloom whether you're pro or anti are you going to view every single move through that lens and then justify your your uh your analysis uh, of every move through your your prior that you were either a pro or anti guy. I feel like we're already seeing that with Breslow again. And I think this is maybe just what sports fandom is now because of social media. So I don't know if we're going to let go of that part of one of the big frustrations in the last four years. No, I mean, we'll never, that's, this predates social media too. We can just see it all the time. We don't have to listen to sports radio to hear it, right? This tendency exists. Well, but back then it was only in sports radio. And you could turn the sports well, radio off and you could say those people, fucking jokers. Talking to people, like, you know, fans haven't changed. They said the same dumb shit. And we were no, I do think they have changed. I do think social media changes the way fans interact with teams. That's, I that's absolutely, absolutely true. But my point being that with respect to the manager, general manager, you're never going to win them all. The reason Haim Bloom ended up such a lightning rod is he did so little. And I don't just mean like, there were few moves. There was not enough content. And so like there wasn't enough content and there was almost no resolution because it was also forward looking. So it was the total absence of substance to deal with. It was always talking about the theories or talking about like one of the good things he did, the Kyle Schwarber trade, but like they, all these moves, there was so so few of like what is the the biggest move he made was Trevor Story right that just right Yoshida fine I'm talking like mayor whatever yeah. I don't give him credit for mayor that's I yeah he, no yeah, mayor I mean, yeah. Felt the only major free agent signing the only major trade he made was the Mookie trade everything else was sort of around the margin right so that's why I think we're going to be spared. It's not that, like, every GM is perpetually in the crosshairs. Like, that's just a fact of life. I think we're going to be spared simply by volume of transactions, expected volume of transactions, um, and the, inst- not instant, but, like, the ability to see f- quick results. The, the, the itch will be scratched a lot more than it was with Bloom. That's... It, it, but you're presuming that we're going to see a lot of transactions. I we would don't say know anything so. about his I, philosophy. We don't know anything about that, but we know that Bloom is on like the absolute bottom end of like major league transaction um, or was in his five-year plan. He didn't get to finish. There just wasn't enough he just wasn't creating enough content, man. He wasn't <laughs> no, creating he enough wasn't. content. He was thinking too heard, much. And like yeah. we, we and hear we, this, that like he went of... through and would talk everybody. I mean, I'm asking everybody. I feel like a player will have a player, hopefully, or anybody else could be a little bit more decisive. Maybe, but he has zero track record. <laughs> Which is why it's so interesting that if, you know, based on what we've heard since the Bloom firing, you know, we've heard everything you said, that he was extremely wishy-washy, 
that other GMs hated dealing with him because they couldn't get him to commit to anything that even after he made deals, he was constantly second guessing himself and talking to people. So like we heard basically that they felt like they needed to move on from him because he couldn't aggressively do what he needed to do at the major league level. And then they replaced him a guy with, with a guy with no track record whatsoever of acquiring players at the major league level. I mean, so I think it's like, it's at this point, we're just projecting onto him. But like Bloom didn't have, I mean, he was the second in command, but like, you don't have experience until you get experience. There's like no way around that. The other part of it, the flip side of this, suppose Breslow was like objectively bad. I don't know how he would be objectively bad, but suppose he was objectively bad. You can get rid of Craig Breslow. Now, I know their thing is they move on quickly, and that's ostensibly the reason people didn't want to take the job. Uh, All of that smells incredibly fishy to me, frankly. I find it... Oh, I I find it just hard to believe is Sam Kennedy's spin that, like, this is the greatest job in the world, which I also don't believe. But... That's part of the reason why I, I'm sort of believing my conspiracy theory. Because <laughs> I never bought the, oh, people are going to be scared of the front office. They're not going to want to do this job. That always seemed like bunk to me. But then to see what we saw with them just getting turned down one after another after another by big names, like it did seem like maybe there was something else going on there. Maybe that something else was that they identified Breslow early. I think it's more likely that the cult of the GM was like, look what you did to our boy Bloom. I'm not going to let that happen to me. And like, look what you did to Dombrowski. And it's just like, look, well, if maybe. Kim Ang didn't want to do it after the situation she left, like, well, with her, it it's seems all like she's the same. They're all the same. Not all, but many of them are the same. Um, and you're going to deal with idiots and meddling billionaire owners i will be incredibly disappointed and slash flabbergasted if breslow just runs back the bloom playbook like flabbergasted and it will suck so yeah you don't you have alone put this in my head and this is why by the way you're like people like oh they're brez feeders which come on um, it's got to be Bresbians. Just, just quick aside. Bresfeeders is funny. Bresbians is perfect. <laughs> it is just perfect. But my, this is why when my friend Lisa asked, "Why should I get excited?" You shouldn't. You shouldn't get excited. Yeah. At the same time, if I would say the ninetieth percentile outcome is that he's at least a bit more aggressive than high and bloom i think 2024 high and bloom would have also been more aggressive than 2023 high and bloom yeah we'll never know then things will be fine because they have spent a long time putting down this floor here's all they need they need two pitchers and they have a glut of outfielders they need to package one of them in a creative trade so sign one pitcher, sign Yamamoto, trade, put together a trade package for another pitcher who's not a free agent. 
maybe address second base. If you don't believe in Arias, I kind of do believe in Arias. And they're ready to go next year. (laughs) They are. That's all they need to do. And they don't need to mortgage the farm to do it. They don't need to make like a 2009 Yankee-style three giant free agent signings. That's all he needs to do. Uh, Quick tangent. How speaking of Mike Hazen, how furious are you that the Diamondbacks are in the World Series? Or are you reckoning with the limits of your own hateration on the playoffs? No, 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 no. All right. So a couple of things. One, I I was going to ask you in Slack whether uh, Nate Silver's tweet about this being the least compelling World Series of all time. He doesn't watch baseball anymore. He doesn't watch (laughs) baseball. He watches baseball like when we go to games together. He watches baseball, mm-hmm. but he, he doesn't watch baseball that much anymore. Well, I, I, I read wrong. that. The Astros aren't in the World Series. That's worth fucking celebrating, man. I I was rooting for a Phillies-Astros rematch, actually. I don't oh, – well, I mean – Fuck you. No, I don't understand. I, 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 I guess, granted, I understand that apparently I'm a little weird in this regard. But, like, to me, I view a baseball season in some sense like a TV show. And the Astros are a really good villain. And I, like from an entertaining entertainment standpoint, don't you think you would have rather seen a Phillies-Astros rematch with the Phillies trying to take down the villain? No, because if the Astros beat them again, it would just be more humiliating yeah. than losing to the Diamondbacks. I like this because it's totally fresh. Um. <clears throat> It's not fair in the ways that we've discussed the playoffs. You know, there's a clip going around of Seiya Suzuki dropping a ball in a late season game against the Diamondbacks, where if they lost, they wouldn't have made the playoffs. And it's very sliding doors moment. Because he just straight up I didn't even it. see that clip. He straight up drops it. Clip. It would have ended the game. It would have ended the game. Yeah. And would have ended this come season. Back to win. And it's not I do like, know that they have a negative run differential. <laughs> yeah. And this, I do know, and I, and I gets, saw Nate's go ahead. Well, when I saw Nate's tweet, like you, I kind of scoffed initially too. I was like, how could it be the least compelling? I did not know that it is literally this is the least amount of combined wins that have ever met in a World Series. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's sort of to be expected with this format. I do there are things I like that suit my narrative, like the Ranger, like the Rangers spending money and being rewarded for it. That you know that mm-hmm. I enjoy that part of it. No, I do not want the Astros in it. They it's not that I like last year was fine. I'm fine with the villain making it most of the time, but the reason back in the day Triple H didn't headline every WWF then WWF card. Was you got to mix it up? Yeah, you got a great villain, but you got to mix it up. And well, yeah, I would agree. I would agree with that if I thought that this Diamondbacks team was like a young, up and coming team about to start a, a dynasty. And I love Corbin Carroll. I really do. I love watching him play. And you know, they've got a certainly a solid front end of the rotation in Zach Allen and Merrill Kelly. And Gabby Moreno is a hell of a catcher. They got some interesting, interesting pieces, but like, I think this Diamondbacks team is probably going to win 84 and 87 games again next year. You know? So like, that's what I don't find compelling about it. Like, I just, I don't 
think they're a worthy challenger. And if we we can't just let the World Series just like I don't want to sound like an old baseball crank, you sound like Nate. You sound exactly like what he's saying. Well, what the hell are we doing here? If the World Series is going to be meaningless, what are we doing here with our time? That's if a team with a negative, they have a negative run differential. They have a negative run differential. That means that over 162 games they lost. Do you know that the Miami Heat this year in basketball lost the first of two play-in games and then won the second one to squeak in and they made it all the way to the finals? And basketball is a little bit different because you kind of can't fake it. Like there's. No, the basketball but, is the complete opposite. What, the what, best team wins almost every year in basketball. I would rather have Nate have that take, which, like, in some ways it's objectively true that the Diamondbacks are just not a very good baseball team for the World Series. That's, obje- mm-hmm. like, whatever. It's objectively – that's what makes them a compelling story is they have no business being anywhere near it. What drives me crazy and drove me crazy – were the takes after the Braves lost and people like Ken Rosenthal. I know people like Ken Rosenthal, but it try, he drives me up a wall. All these people rushing out to do these, why can't the Braves win in October? Bob Nightingale said, why can't the Braves win in October? First of all, they won two years ago. So they do know how to win in October. Second of all, you were saying the Phillies were the perfect example of how to win in October. Well, you wait 10 days and then you see it's all bullshit. As this is all going re- to yeah. your point. That the, the reason, playoffs- right. The reason they can't win in October is because it's completely fucking random it's baseball. And if you, and if you just keep letting more and more teams in, then it just loses meaning every time you do that. That's what bothers me about this. And it always will. Well, there's nothing we can do about it. I do have I have one off the wall format suggestion that I haven't heard anywhere else. Uh, Lay it on, Bob Oz. All right, so so Bob in a postseason note, um, Bob Osgood piece that he wrote for Bob Osgood in, in a piece they wrote for the site a couple of weeks ago. You can he write, suggested wait, you can write for our site. You can. We have printed yeah. articles. Do you oh, want me to get you set up with a login? I should try that. I should try <laughs> should. Um, so he wrote about how about the Korean playoff format, and that is not exactly what I'm going for here. But the Korean playoff format is essentially, I, I think I'm not exactly. I think five teams make the postseason, and it starts off with the fifth team playing the fourth team. The winner of that plays the third team. The winner of that plays the second team. The winner of that plays the first team. Now, that's really, really fair, of course, to the first team. I don't like that system because, well, if we're going to complain about the Braves having five days off and certainly a couple of weeks off for the number one team, we're going to complain about that. But I also just don't want to not watch the best team in baseball for a month while lesser teams are playing. So I don't like that as a fan. Um, But how about this, which is something I think – that either Korea or Japan has done in the past. If they insist on keeping this same number of teams, which they will, because they're not going to go back now that they've expanded it. How about you give certain teams an extra win 
yeah, an automatic I heard, I heard win that. in the postseason. Makes, and makes and but wait, to me. And hold on. And you not only and you not only, but you don't just do it according to seeding. You do it according to the number of wins the team gets in the regular season, and you predetermine it. And so you can say like, and you can even you can go nuts if you want. And if you want to say, if anyone wins 160 or 117 games and breaks the Mariners' record, then they start with two extra wins in the division series or something like that. And if you win 110 games, one extra win, or 100 games, one extra win, or 90, pump, like however pump, you want to pump, do it. Pump then the you brakes, add in. Dano. Pump the brakes on this. <laughs> you, you had a good. Uh, you had a good idea and went too far. I'm waiting for you to loop back around to the, just the, yeah. Make, oh, no, you're adding, you're making the regular season more compelling because the team will never stop trying to win. In that no, okay. I, the, that's just too complicated. The, the adding an extra win is so straightforward that it also makes fucking sense that like, This team was better than you in the regular season. You got to beat them twice. They got to beat you once. That's how it is. The other thing they could do, because what really disappoints me is that the division series is best of five. Mm-hmm. And well, it annoys me. I mean, I, if you're adding wins, you can make it best of seven. Because the, the, the biggest problem that you would have in this scenario is that by adding wins, you're taking away games, which obviously the owners don't like because that's money. And as a fan, I don't like it either. So, but if you add wins and then make the division series best of seven, you're covering your losses a little bit there. Also by the way they do the schedule, shouldn't the world series be best of nine now? If the first one is best of three and the second is best of five and the third is best of seven. I mean, it's been best of nine before. They did do that in the past. I've also heard, I think, I think Bob Costas argued that they should actually invert the, the way that the, 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 the number of games per series right now, the idea being that you, you'll weed out the weaker teams by having longer series. Exactly. And, and then, then right, the time, time of like Super Bowl type thing. Yeah. And then by the time you get to the World Series, you're basically saying like these two teams have proven that they're the most worthy teams. They've proven it through longer series. Now you can have a shorter series to, to determine who's better between the two of them. I mean, I don't know if I agree with that, but it's interesting to think about. I will grant that. It's it's become self-parody at this point. I mean, I, it's easy to say that when last year the Astros won and they were, you know, great. They were totally deserving champion. But what, I mean, the thing that bothers me is people that know better, like specifically Ken Rosenthal and all these other people, like the only thing the playoffs are to them is is like um, content prompts. And it it doesn't matter what you learned last year. You're talking about what happened right now in, yeah. in devoid of context. And that's so 
weird to me. You know what else is weird to me? Because we haven't done this in so long. We didn't take a break. And maybe we, we will right now. And maybe we won't. <laughs> and so maybe we took a break just then. Did we? Maybe. I don't know. I might just yeah. put it back at the beginning somewhere. Um, so just to com- just to not take a break at all, but completely continue your thought there. It's not yeah. uh, you're right that it is. They are kind of using it as content prompts, but I don't think it's necessarily that they're being lazy. I think the problem is like just the actual answer is so unsatisfying. Yeah. I, like, I, why I, can't the Braves win in October? Because nobody can win in October except for one team because it's completely random. <laughs> Like that's the answer. There is no magic formula. There's no like, there's no perfect way to put a team together for one year. Have Justin Verlander. It works. The other year have Justin Verlander. It doesn't work. You know, it's just, it's completely fucking random. And that's the answer. And that's extremely unsatisfying. And this is where I'm talking. I think, I think if too many baseball fans and too many members of the media start admitting that, then the next question we're all going to ask ourselves is what's the point? Yeah. What the fuck are we doing here? If it's all random, then what, what are we doing? So we're afraid to ask. We're afraid to say that. So we collectively, the baseball community come up with all these excuses about so layoffs it's and about bullpens. And- it's a situation everyone knows is fucked. And there's one party line. And if you don't tow that party line, <laughs> Gets you in a lot of trouble, but everyone knows the it's, situation is fucked. It has nothing to do with any world events, which <laughs> is good because we're not talking about those on this show. No, no, uh, one not. thing we should talk about because we've had this discussion before is, is Timmy W. Rest yeah. in peace to Tim Wakefield. Did you see? I'm sure you saw the picture that came out on social media a couple of days ago. I didn't. Of the oh. Reunion. Oh, didn't. Oh, yeah, yes, oh, yes, yes. No, 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 I did. Yeah. I did. I did. I did. I did. Yeah. Uh, was that after his like? Was that for his funeral, or was he in the picture? I don't. I, I no no. It, well, it, it wasn't for. It was after his funeral, so okay, it must so have it was been like something. The different, people who got I together think, yeah. because to for him. Yeah, right? unless unless I mean, it, so it's a picture. Jacoby Ellsbury tweeted it out, and for for those who haven't seen it, it's it's a picture of they look like they're in a restaurant somewhere. I mean, it is Nomar. Standing next to no Doug Mirabella yeah, and like Kevin I... Euclid and Veritek and Timlin and Pedroia and Ellsbury and who am I missing? I mean, everyone was there but chilling, basically. Um, Poppy wasn't there. He was working, I suppose. Um, but yeah, so the presumption, we actually don't know what the event was, but the presumption is it was, it was something for Wake. Yeah, that's so that's not chilling in the back. I mean, I. No, I, it's not. It, it it's not. Is it is definitely not there. It's Trot. Timlin. Yeah. yeah, it's Timlin. There's Nixon. The, the, the hardest guys for me to recognize, Trot Nixon and Doug I, I notice him now, but like, I wouldn't have said that's Trot Nixon. They're like, un, they're barely recognizable. I mean, Nomar is the easiest. Oh, no, Nomar hasn't changed. Nomar hasn't changed at all. Um. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been a while now. It just, it's sad it hit you hard it really hit you hard i could tell uh it just he was a good guy and you can't this is the like we don't know any of these people right we no, don't know any of right. them really but he seemed to be the one guy who was by all indications just a great guy and like nobody had ever had a crossword to say about him um it came out the story that came out after 2004 
because in 2003, Wakefield had blamed himself <laughs> for the Aaron Boone home run. Even though absolutely no one else did. And by the way, we've talked about this. I don't know if you mentioned, I've mentioned this a hundred times. I was at that game. People forget that David Ortiz had a double in extra innings that was like six inches from a home run. Six mm. fucking inches from a home run. Anyhow, Tory called him after the game, apparently. And he said, I'm not happy right now, but I'm happy for you. And that's cr- like, that is like, the Joe Torre class act thing probably gets overblown. It does for pretty much everybody who's probably similarly uh, has similar stature, but I don't think he would have done that for any other player on the Red Sox, you know, at like wouldn't even consider it. And it, uh, it was just sad I know that the way we learned about it was not ideal, but at the same time, the guy who, you know, Schilling is totally self-centered and made it about him at the same time. I mean, it's, it's unforgivable in some ways, but at the same time, someone you're really close to is like on death's death store. It's tough on everyone. So it's like, it ultimately doesn't matter. It didn't tell us anything about Kurt Schilling that we didn't already know. You know, it did prepare me by a couple days for, uh, I mean, I didn't expect it to happen. I don't know if you remember this. It's like when uh, Freddie Mercury said he had AIDS and he died the next day. He had a press conference that he died the next day. And that's what it was like, except for, I think there was some idea that it was going to happen. Whereas this is like, oh, it sounds bad. And then, yeah. like, I texted people like uh, when it happened, like it's Saturday. I think it was like shit. And people were like, what? And they hadn't seen it yet yeah. because it didn't click. It was going to all happen so fast. Yeah. Well, and from what I understand too, and I might have this timeline wrong, but I think when Schilling Schilling broke the news before Wakefield was set to have surgery. And then I believe he did have a procedure. And at that point he came out of it. And I think he, he started telling people that, you know, Hey, it went well, everything's looking good. Yeah. That's what I heard. Um, Which. Yeah. It's tough. It's tough. It's. Everything that happened with this year's Red Sox, I'm happy to just fucking put in the dumpster, honestly. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the reason it doesn't matter who Breslow is to me at the moment. You know, a baseline level of competence without drama would be fine with me. Hopefully that's what he brings, I suspect. Actually, I don't suspect anything. I just don't know. He's yeah, a blind slate. We'll the one thing I won't hold against him is like, oh, he hasn't been a GM before. I think that's overblown. It, it'll manifest itself in some ways, obviously. It always does. At the same time, the second he feels a, feels a phone call, he's got some experience. <laughs> and it's like, not, like now Bloom is like, oh, Bloom has experience. Well, it's, you can't get experience without having the experience. And, 
all that stuff. So yeah, it's just, the nice thing about this off season now is like, it's kind of nice not knowing what's going to happen. It's it, and nice well, what I waiting to the last second, presumably to get an injured Trevor story or mm-hmm. some cast off in March. Well, I was just going to say, I think, I know what you were saying, but I think drama is the wrong word because I actually wouldn't mind an off season with a little drama because I think yeah. we haven't had that. You know, I, I wouldn't. We've created. <laughs> we've, we've created the drama. Like the drama is between yeah. the fans. You know, there. I don't know if you saw. There was a report yesterday that apparently the Padres and the Yankees have begun preliminary discussions about Juan Soto. If this were two thousand two. And Larry Lucchino and Theo were in charge. That report would be immediately followed by a report that Theo Epstein has flown to Juan Soto's house. Yeah. And like with Pedro Martinez and David Ortiz um, and delivered him his favorite baked goods or something like that. That would be, um, that would make for an interesting offseason. If that's the type of thing we get here. And I would, you know, as someone who really loved that era of Red Sox baseball and the Red Sox Yankees rivalry, I would welcome Thanksgiving dinner with uh, Kurt Schilling. Yeah. Throwing chairs against the wall when Jose Contreras signed with the Yankees, like that type of thing. Like that was fun. It It was was fun. It's that, that era and more, more than anything else is what made the modern Red Sox, not and, and and not just the Red Sox on the field, but the chase of greatness that they're pursuing off the field. And like, God, do you remember there were years where the Patriots were going undefeated and were defending Super Bowl champions, and John Henry was like issuing public apologies to them for stealing the headlines. <laughs> Because it was November and because Theo Epstein was doing was having Thanksgiving dinner at Kurt Schilling's house. Or because they were putting together a package to trade Domar and get rid of Manny Ramirez for Alex Rodriguez. Like the Red Sox were the center of the baseball world. Everything was about them. And it made everyone else annoyed and pissed them off. But it is what created the modern Red Sox as we know them. And it's and the, it, that's the team that Sam Kennedy is constantly talking about, not the one he currently works for. <clears throat> That's like yeah. when Sam Kennedy talks, he's talking about that. When he says trust us, yeah. So I do say, bring, like, bring the drama back. Let's yeah, go back fine. to that era. Let's uh, let's get some Otani stuff going on. Shit, let's trade for Mike Trout. Why not? Yeah, hey, you know what? It, the thought did occur to me. We had we had Gammon's crypt, you know, uh, prescient tweet about Craig Breslow. You know where I'm going with this. You know the other bizarre off-season tweet we've seen from Gammons. What was that? that Shohei Otani with New Balance. Yes. Yes. That because that Shohei Otani is interested in the Red Sox because New Balance is headquartered here. <laughs> Makes no sense at the time, but hey, he was right about Preslow. My thing is, who knows? If the Angels lose Otani, which they are, which they're going to, right? Of course they are. He's not. He's not even gonna. He's not returning their phone call. There's no question about that. We don't even need to discuss the Angels. Why would they even keep Trout at this point? Well, yeah, I mean, he's also been hurt. 
every one of the last six years. Mm -hmm. I just traded for him in Dynasty, so I'm aware of this. Um, Right-handed power. That's an area of need for your Boston Red Sox. He uh, Injury-prone aging veterans, not an area of need. But but outside of this year for a little bit, you know, Trout has never been anything less than outstanding. And yeah, I mean, I understand that it, it's a risk, but I don't think they're going to trade for Mike Trout. Well, the problem is, the problem is, I don't think anyone, including the Angels, can even conceptualize what a package for Trout would be. Yeah, it's too. I it's really too don't weird. like it. What the hell would it be? No one, no one knows. Like, because you're either you're either trading for a guy who could be the best player in baseball for the next five years, or you're trading for a guy who could just play like 40 games for the next five years like yeah. we don't know like the running not it wouldn't be quite miguel cabrera level but oh i don't think it would ever Wait, get that it, bad no one would be because... like the, the downside would be outside of the very end the poo holes on the angel <clears throat> but the thing is the only thing tying together the bad seasons is the angels so like the angels are the yeah. problem they have i don't even think it would be as bad as pool holes or cabrera though because like those were because trout is just such a better athlete than those two guys the downside would be the downside would be chris sit like he just never never gets on the field that's That's that's, what it would be that's really good that just never gets on the field that's exactly right that's exactly right anyhow you got anything else on the boston red sox before we start talking some nonsense because it's been a while yeah, I don't have anything else on the Red Sox right now. I suppose I think. Well, so let me ask you a question because you yeah. you suggested a segment that I mixed because we had too much to talk about, saying best <laughs> Red Sox themed Halloween costumes, and I know you well right. enough now to suspect that you had one in mind. Hence, you creating the segment, and I would like to know what that is. I did have. I had one. I. I it's probably. Yeah, I had one because I I thought of it. I texted you. I thought of one. You said no, and I immediately stopped thinking about it. Um, but it does. It there's a reason why I had this one because it's been on my mind. It's been in the news. Um, the obvious answer would be to throw on a gorilla suit and say you're Theo Epstein. I would take that one level of nuance deeper, and I would walk around just in a white t-shirt and boxer shorts. And I would say, I'm the guy who Theo took the gorilla suit from. See, that's a great lazy costume, like last minute. But I have the best ever last minute costume, I think. All right, let's hear it. I didn't have, so I had to go to a wedding earlier in the year and there was a sale at like men's warehouse. So I bought a tux because it was like $150. It wasn't a good tux, but it was, I bought it rather than rent, right? Yeah. And Halloween's coming up. We're actually having a Halloween party at my apartment, and I just didn't have it. So I just put on the tux, and I went to the pharmacy and got business cards, and I was just the best man. And I just went up to people, and I would hold the business cards. I was like, let me tell you about this guy. <laughs> went over like gangbusters. It was great. I do. I will say this. I do really like. I really like a Halloween costume that has like an acting, like a character component to it. A, a I really friend of like mine, that one. A friend of mine, we went to one. It was the day the Yankees lost to the Marlins in 2003. Went to a party in Park Slope, no, Carroll Gardens. And um, 
we I went as the gym teacher. This is another one where we didn't have costumes really. I went as the gym teacher, which means I just wore sweats. But he went as the principal, and he wore a suit jacket, and then just he had a paper cup of coffee he held like this the whole time. And people knew immediately. <laughs> and you made, like, you're the principal. He's like, yeah, I'm the principal. Yeah. Good. That's a pretty good one. I will just say, so my favorite Halloween costume of all time, and I'm only, I think it's because it was also something I wore to a Halloween party in Brooklyn, a themed one. The theme was, it was it was the year of the 2012 Olympics. And the theme was like Can't, Olympic what year, Halloween. What year was that? 2012. Yeah, I know. That was... The year of the 20, though, I guess it makes sense because the year of the 2020 Olympics was 2020. Was in 2021. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All Thank right. you. That This is this snark, has been Monsters of Pendantry. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, so does the name Rafalka ring a bell yeah, to you? I know exactly who Rafalka is. Okay, good, good. So yes, Rafalka being Ann Romney's therapy dressage horse. Uh, that you uh, bought to... Jack Donaghy FaceTimes Rafalka on 30 Rock. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, so depending on how, on your feeling of horses, you may or may not like this because it ended up being much... I just thought it was funny. It ended up being really divisive at the party, depending on people's feelings of horses. Um, I dressed up as a bottle of Elmer's glue and I told people I was zombie Rafalka. Oh, that's good. I like that. <laughs> I like that one. So maybe, who knows, maybe your party was right next door. It was 2003, so. Okay, maybe not. <laughs> I was still in high school. Uh, I mean, I'm third probably high school too, but enough about that. Uh, you have a new baby, so. I do. You question you... for you. Go ahead. Well, a question. Um, you are a product of a three-boy family, right? I am. I have that correct? Okay. I now have three boys. Um, so let me ask you, if if you could, from your childhood, glean one bit of advice that you would give to a, a father of three boys, what would it be? Because let me tell you right now, I can already tell, I think my philosophy going forward is going to be let them fight, which I... Which I wouldn't have guessed would be my philosophy when I first started having children six years ago. But now that my six and four-year-old do fight all the time and I've realized I can't stop it, I'm like, this is just going to be my house for the next 18 years. Yeah, you can't stop it. You cannot. You absolutely cannot stop it. Now, I'm part of a three-boy family that grew up without a dad around, so it's hard for me to give you specific dad you, you can give me gender neutral advice uh i mean the stereotypes of kids are that to me they hold pretty strongly across families the oldest as the managerial type and like you're, you're like basically your parental assistant at some point yeah, that's not how it's working out for us so far. But not yet, but there's time. Yeah, there's the time. second second just does whatever they want and is <clears throat> knows who they are, and then the third is just wild card baby. <laughs> but yeah, the let you're not like here's the other part of like your option to stop them from fighting is going to go down because your their energy 
is just going to grow and yeah. your energy is just going to wane. Well, that's what I've already realized. I've realized two things. One, when I do attempt to stop them, it usually just makes things worse. Whereas if I just hold back, they kind of tend to just resolve whatever they're fighting about on their own pretty quickly. Um, and on top of that, the fighting also bothers me more than it bothers them, frankly, to be honest. You know, <laughs> like, like my six-year-old will kick the well, four-year-old yeah, in the back and no run over themselves. there and they're say, just no, don't do that, themselves. don't do that. Yeah. yeah. And then the four, and I'll be mad that my six-year-old resorted to violence. My four-year-old like won't care. You know, he gets over it in two seconds. I'm like, well, maybe I should do that too. And then the other thing you're right is like, I, we just don't have the capacity to deal with you two right now. So we're just like, oh, right. you guys are fighting with each other. Well, as long as you're in the basement and the baby's not there. Well, so that's going to happen. The six-year-old and the four-year-old are going to get really close. Um, mm. because I hope of this. so. And then, you know, if it's anything like I have pretty much a dream scenario with my brothers, so I got nothing to complain. I mean, they suck and fuck them, but I love them and <laughs> it's wonderful. How far uh, apart are you guys? I'm two and a half years older than the next one, and then I am seven years older than the youngest, who's oh, so a similar you know, gap. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people. I always talk about that. Everyone's like similar. It's like, yeah, it's because humans are pretty predictable. We're like, I had one baby. Oh, let's have another. And then he's like, <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, this is a problem. <laughs> All right. And so they tend to be spaced out. Yeah. They're the same. But Well, so let me ask you another question. So seven years. So th that's a little bit. So my oldest and youngest will be six and a half years apart. So basically the same thing. And I have been already looking into the future and saying like, is it going to be kind of weird that we see a product of no you said i've been looking into the future oh, so how do we do future. oh gotcha um well along those lines i've been like are they are these two the two that are six and a half years apart like they're never going to be in to the same things at the same time with the possible exception as my wife pointed out she's like well He's like, they, they won't enjoy them in the same way, but they'll probably both be into baseball and things like that, right? And I was like, yeah, they probably will, but they won't enjoy them in the same way. And I wonder... Like, the youngest will one like? will almost certainly like what the older two likes <clears throat> just by a fact of like wanting to... Like we played street hockey with my friend and my two brothers where we would have a goalie and then you play two on one. And if you lost the puck or you scored, you would immediately rotate at the defense. We just, but we always made my little brother, the little brother play goal. Mm -hmm. As such, he ended up, did he end up, did he end up Arizona. being the best one at sports? I feel like that's how no, you the youngest one ends up being the best. He's the best one at team sports, but my, the, the middle one is like, he's in it. He's not an elite athlete because he's a civilian. But especially growing up, he was like, he could have played a college sport if he wanted to. He just never cared, but he's a very good athlete. But he did. The youngest brother ended up becoming the goalie for the Arizona State lacrosse team. So it's like. Really? Yeah. So it's a club team. They don't have a, they didn't, I don't know if they do now. They didn't have a club. But anyhow, we're talking about kids. One more thing before we get to recommendations, because I do need to get my child. But the child I'm about to get is my son, who's six years old. On Thursday mornings, and this happened this morning, the day we're recording, he tends to be very ornery when taking him to 
taking going to school. I have the kids Wednesday to Saturday, so this is the first morning they've been with me. And today he was sad, and because uh, anyhow, and then Fridays he's great. But he's been reading a book. He's been reading the Dogman series of books, and in one of the books, they like create a something out of like a broom. They create a person. And the person thinks they're real and this becomes like a point of contention. So we're, we're arguing the way to school and he's like, I don't love you. You're the worst daddy. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. Whatever, Sam, fine. So just quiet. And this is a short ride. And then he just says from the back seat, he just goes, you'll never be a real man. <laughs> I was like, I was literally like, Jesus, what did you say to me? What? He immediately realized that he like he knows sometimes he went too far, and this time he realized like he didn't know how he had gone too far because the context was so different from the way he meant it. But I was like, that's like the most devastating thing anybody has said to me. You're not supposed to say that to me until you're 16. It's like, what the? I was like, also, you're kind of right. That's the worst part. It was awful. All right, recommendations. You got one? So wait, he was just reading the line from a book? Is that he was, what it was? quoting a line from a book because they fight with this? I think it's like they create a person, like <clears throat> it's like Calvin and Hobbes, right? Yeah. So they created this thing and they're <laughs> arguing with it because it's like fighting with them, and they're like, You'll never be a real man. Like, you can't fight us because you're not real. <laughs> but he like cribbed that line out of wow. context and just absolutely slaughtered. Me. It's just just devastating. Absolutely slaughtered. Me. <laughs> Sorry to hear that. All right. You got any recommendations? I do I so I'm going to stick to the parenting theme. I do have a recommendation. Um it is for something that I have not bought and never would have considered buying because it is crazy expensive. And I suspect that there are a lot of new parents or would be parents out there who have maybe considered this and made the same decision that I have. That's crazy expensive. But I lucked out because my neighbors who had a baby six or seven months ago did buy it and then let me borrow it. And it's something called the snoo. Have you heard of the snoo? Maybe. It's a new, it's a bassinet. And it's a bassinet that you strap your baby into and then it moves automatically and produces white noise. When yeah, sleep. we know we had a, it's like you can choose the way. No, 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 no. Oh, well, maybe you did have it. (laughs) Maybe you didn't. No, it was just invented. It's only like two or three years old. Okay, then I didn't have it. Oh, I see it. Also, and it has like a microphone and it picks up and it has sensors and it picks up when the child is moving. Okay. The shipping for this cost as much as I thought the item was going to cost. I never would have bought it in a million years. And, and actually, but let me tell you something. It has, it, it totally, totally, totally changes the newborn experience. Because, like, as you know, the most difficult thing about newborns is nighttime. And it's getting them to sleep. And they have to feed every two or three hours. And then if you do what I did for my last two kids, then you spend, like, 20 to 30 minutes rocking them back to sleep. And then gently put them down in the bassinet like it's a bomb that's going to explode if you move too quickly. You don't have to do any of that with this thing. It has it is it has made our nights so much easier with this one than our first two kids. 
And so my recommendation is not to go out there and buy it because it's insanely expensive. My recommendation is for uh, Congress right now, if you're listening, buy, I don't know, 20 million of these and just distribute them to every town and city in America and just let's all let all the parents in that town and city can just share them and pass them around and it will make society happier and a more peaceful more well rested less easily irritated place um, how are we going to make really to kill people halfway across the world uh, for stuff that doesn't <laughs> affect us otherwise dan got to think about that Fair enough. That's true. Uh, uh, that's my recommendation. Congress, buy all of America. Mike Johnson, get on yeah. it. Uh, you want you want babies? You think the Republicans are going to outbreed the Democrats? You should want this. <laughs> that's sharing. Anyhow, my I'm not going to recommend the Scorsese movie specifically to you because you don't have the time for that shit. But I did see it. In Scorsese. I don't. No. Um, yeah. My I recommendation for you is: you no, know, you wake up in the morning and you want to drink some water. You know how green tea is gross in pretty much every context. Here's the context. I don't agree with that, but go ahead. Instead of chugging water in the morning, just make yourself an iced green tea and chug that. You won't get too great. <clears throat> but it's like, even if you're going to have coffee, it's just a nice way to get started. That's it. That's, That's what, what I was going to say. So you, st- you still have coffee after the green tea? Yes. But... Even if I have the coffee before, I like it. Just feels cleansing, and uh, mm. and it's fun. I like making hot tea and then pouring it over a ton of ice and watching all the ice disappear. Science. It does Science. feel cleansing. It does feel cleansing. I've kind of I've stopped drinking. I this is this is tea in my mug right here because I drink like five cups of coffee in the morning, and then I'm still yeah. tired in the afternoon. But I'd like coffee in the afternoon kind of fucks me up. So I've been doing tea in the afternoon because it does. And I feel like I feel like even if I like ate too much at lunch, which today, another recommendation, don't buy Halloween candy a month before Halloween and just keep it in your house. You don't need that. <laughs> but we did that. And so as today, as I've been doing every day for the past month, I'm like, yeah, I, I can have a Kit Kat. Oh, and I'm not drinking coffee anymore. <laughs> I'm just mainlining chocolate. You're good. Well, the thing is, like, after I do that, I'm like, oh, this is too much. My stomach doesn't feel good. Tea will undo all of the negative effects of me eating all that chocolate. That's true. That's what I've convinced myself. Exactly. That's the other so part. Clean. It's so clean. It's a very disgusting lifestyle. And then, oh, I drink green tea every day. <laughs> it's, yeah, you erase it. Then 10 beers, sure. No. All right, Dan, as much as I'd like to keep talking, I have to go get the child who said I will never be a real man. Uh, Maybe by next time we talk, the Red Sox will have done something, but I'm guessing nothing will happen until the World Series. Well, the press conference is happening next Thursday, so maybe we should record live and watch it at the same time. That's very good. All right, for Dan Secatore, Cornelius Secatore, Brian Joyner, and all the Craigs of the world. Stay classy out there, Monsters of Socks. Take care.